Hello everyone, this is Fire Chief Paul Dow with Albuquerque Fire Rescue. Now this podcast is designed to bring you helpful training and best practices and some additional resources that you can access from anywhere. So thank you for joining us and enjoy today's episode. And hello, uh, loyal viewers. Thank you for joining us again for another exciting podcast. Um, I'm Lieutenant John McGee with Albuquerque Fire Rescue. I'll be your host today and we have a special guest with us. We have Dr. Danielle Mascarenas. She is a pediatric emergency medicine fellow uh, at University of New Mexico Hospital. And she's here today to talk to us about snake bites and antivenom. Welcome, Dr. Mascarenas. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm just trying to wonder or figure out how you got connected to this. Um, otherwise, is it because peds are more susceptible uh, in terms of mortality to that's a snake bite? A, yeah, that's a really good question. I So in New Mexico, basically anybody can be bitten by a rattlesnake. Um, we, When I did my research project, I looked at two snake bite seasons. So this last summer or snake bite season and then the summer before. And what is snake bite season? It's really like when the snakes come out essentially. So it's usually from April to around October okay. is when we'll see, like we call it our snake bite season and that's when you'll see all of the bites happen. Um, and the spectrum, so like the kids were as young as like 12 months-ish and as old as like 80 years old. And so it was like a huge variety mm -hmm. and they, they do say that mortality, if there is mortality or morbidity, um, essentially, it's worse on the ends of the spectrum. Okay, so the elderly so very and young, the pediatric patients. The very old. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. And so <clears throat> now we're going to talk about a lot of things. <laughs> so snake bites, and then is it? It's anti venom. I've heard, and then I think the European version is anti venin. Yes. Are they the same, same thing? thing? Yeah. Same okay. thing. I think in the veterinarian world, they say antivenin too, or at least some of the studies I saw referred it to that. But it's antivenom, same stuff. Okay. And so let's kind of start from the beginning. So we talked about snake bites. Here in the United States, what would be the most common snake bite? Um, so it's a really good question. And I brought my laptop because I have numbers that I don't want to botch um, as we're chatting about it. But like in the U.S., Typically, there's around 8,000 to 10,000 venomous snake bites per year, wow. which is kind of crazy. The only states that don't have venomous snakes are Alaska, Hawaii, and Maine, actually, which is kind of weird. That's interesting. Maybe just like the temperatures. And right. The, too cold. Island. Yeah, I think too cold. And then Hawaii just hasn't been introduced, like any venomous snakes have been introduced there. But there's about 20 venomous types within the U.S. And for New Mexico specifically, and this is like why my research project kind of just evolved around rattlesnakes, um, we only have rattlesnakes as the venomous snake. Okay. And so looking at the antivenom, there's a couple of different types, and then you have just this one type of venomous snake that we are treating. So that's why the research kind of honed in on that. But there are other venomous snakes, particularly like in the south. There's a different type that we don't see. Okay. Um, but now, yeah. So here we have obviously rattlesnakes. Mm -hmm. um, coral snakes? Coral snakes are in the south. That's okay. the one. So that family. So the rattlesnake family includes includes the crotalinae family. And that's rattlesnakes, that's our um, essentially pit vipers, our copperheads, and our cottonmouths. Okay. Then in the south, you have the Lapidae family, and that's the coral snakes. And they have like, we don't have this for rattlesnakes in New Mexico, but they have a cool little saying. Based on the coloring of the snake um, for coral snakes, it's like red and yellow. Red and yellow, yeah. Yeah, in the saying, and I have to look at it, but red it's like yellow. red and yellow will 
kill a kill fellow. A fellow. <laughs> right. And then red on black is venom black. Yeah, I won't be there long enough yeah. to even determine. Uh, I know. I think either way, if I saw a snake, I'd be like, I don't remember. And that looks scary. Get, we would get out of there <laughs> yeah. uh, for sure. So in the ED where you work, um, and during this April through October um, snake season, how common would it be for you to see or treat a snake bite? You know, it depends every year. I've So fellowship where I'm primarily just in the PZD, and that's ultimately the goal for like the rest of my career, obviously. Um, I've seen only a handful of snake bites uh, for children in the pediatric emergency department. Are they generally fatal? No. Thankfully, no. They, thankfully, so rattlesnakes actually, why this is also interesting, are the cause of the most fatal snake bites throughout the nation. But the actual fatalities related to rattlesnake bites is pretty low. Although the studies are a little bit higher than what I expected. So the most recent study that I saw was about 7% of rattlesnake bites can be fatal. Oh, I, Which is higher. I thought you were going to say like 30% or something. Thankfully, no. Thankfully, no. But it's higher than I kind of imagined, to be honest. I don't know why. Um, I is thought that it maybe was maybe rural be... areas? Maybe you're backpacking and you're too far yeah. away from help? I think it has a lot to do, especially like in a place like New Mexico where everything is so spread out. Mm. And there's only a few places that really like the level one trauma seminars here in Albuquerque, for example. I think it's just sometimes like access that probably into that whole issue for fatality or the increase in morbidity and mortality generally. but Okay, and then so, I mean, we'll, we'll kind of go down this line, but let's say yeah. you have a bite and there's a lot of information out there about how to treat it, right? A lot of myth yeah. and everything else. Um, what is the most effective way to treat snake bite? The most effective, if you have a really ill patient um, related to the venom would be antivenom. Okay. So antivenom, that's number one. Yeah. Right? Well, depending, like if you're in the field, ABCs. Sure. And then the ultimate care would be the antivenom. Okay. The an so yeah. antivenom, we've all seen the videos. They grab a snake by the head. They can produce the fangs, pop his fangs into a plastic whatever over a jar and just milk it. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Is that pretty much how you get the venom itself? Yes. So you, they call it like milking when you get the venom. I thought I made that up. They do call it, mil <laughs> they do call okay. it milking. Okay. Yeah. Thankfully, I'm not in part of, part of that part of the research project. <laughs> but what they'll do then is they'll use animals. So animals, there's particular types of animals that have really good immune responses to this antivenom, and they create immunoglobulins. And so what the antivenom does is it takes those immunoglobulins, and it's something that they clean, and then they can inject it into humans who are already, like, so these animals are already, like, responsive to the vet antivenom. What types of animals are we talking about? It's sheep. So the two antivenoms that we use are Curfab and Anavip. Um, those are their, their fancy names, depending on, like... Or their trade names, I should say, or manufacturer names. Again, I just want to make sure the Crofab. Crofab. Uh -huh. Anavip. Anavip is the new one. Okay, Anavip. Yeah. And what animals are these derived from? Like Crofab come from? Crofab, sheep. Sheep. And then um, the Anavip is horses or equine. So we're going to inject snake venom into a horse, mm -hmm. wait till they the horse respond. to produce antibodies yeah. Yeah. to the venom. 
and then and then we extract the blood. We harvest from the plasma the okay. the immunoglobulins or the antibodies, and, and then, then we clean them. Okay. Basically, like in a lab, and make them safe for humans. And then when the humans get a bite or envenomated by a snake, then you can inject that into the human, whether it's Crofab or Anavip, and then they respond to it. Wow, that's amazing. So what is it about sheep or horses that make them so, I guess, uh, resistant to snake venom? Well, I don't know if they're necessarily resistant, but the way it's done for research, and I don't do much on this part, so I don't know the exact amounts, but they do just enough to where the animal responds, but not enough to where it's harmful. Oh, well, so, why, why use horses? Why not, why not like, let's say somebody gets bit, why not just, I harvest his blood, he develops antibodies, let it sit for 24 hours? That's a good question. I think that that's actually a great question, and maybe sometime down the line they might do something like that but i think because that involves human subjects ethically it's a little bit harder yeah yeah and and i think what you would have to so like one it's like doing the test and then harvesting those immunoglobulins like totally possible um but that means you're potentially not treating somebody who is bitten by a sure like you're gonna sit and suffer with that for 24 hours until until they respond until you respond but the other but no but for me i'm thinking well, what if I have an allergy and you inject me with this crofab or antivip and then I have an anaphylactic reaction? Totally. Does that happen? Yes, it can't. Well, so thankfully in the last couple of years where I've done the research about crofab versus antivip, we haven't had any anaphylactic reactions in the okay. last couple of snake bite seasons, but it's definitely possible. Um, but you can also have an anaphylactic reaction to the snake bite and like venom itself, the rattlesnake venom. And so on top of whatever effects the venom is having. Yeah. So I think like, you know, it's hard to say where your anaphylactic or severe allergic reaction is going to happen, but probably better if you have antivenom that's like helping you with all the other stuff. And then you can treat anaphylaxis, even though it's life threatening, you can treat it. Um, it's terrifying. Yeah. That's <laughs> on top of everything else. I've been bit by a snake and now I'm having a, my throat's closing. You have um, been bit by No, I'm just saying, oh. you know, theoretically, like, you know, like, oh, how much worse can it get here? Yeah. Um, so do we process antivenom here in Albuquerque? Do we have a facility that... I don't think, no. I think all of our, I mean, I'd have to ask to double check, but I believe all of our antivenom is shipped here to New Mexico. That's amazing. We have so many snakes here. You would think that we would be able to produce yeah, it Yeah, and I don't know where they produce it. I know... Yeah, I actually have no idea because I don't know where the labs actually the, live. And there's different types of rattlesnakes, which I don't know the huge spectrum super well, but they use different rattlesnakes also for some of the antivenom, which works for all. Gotcha. But. So, all right. So let's go along with that same line we were. So we're going out, we're out, we're backpacking or running or whatever in the uh, foothills and you get struck by a snake. Is there a certain body area or part that people mainly get bit on? Usually it's extremities. So like if you think about... Upper or lower? um, Honestly, the data that I have was pretty equal for upper and lower um, for the last couple of snake bite seasons here in New Mexico. But it depends. I think historically it's upper because people are messing with snakes. And that's what I was kind of getting at. (laughs) So yeah, like... Because I've heard yeah, yeah. people get bit on the thumb or whatever. Yeah, and I'm like their hands, how could that happen? their arms. Unless it's, you reached yeah. for a snake yeah. rattling at you. Yeah. 
and you provoke it. That's a whole it. other conversation. Whole other conversation. You definitely have lower extremity bites if you're like just hiking or running or, you know, just kind of jumping around and, and you scare the snake. But a lot of other bites are considered provoked uh, or a lot, a large majority of them are considered provoked and it's because people are trying to catch them. And I think that may play into why males of like teen and like 20s are more infected. Here we go. So yeah, yeah that's, it's that's the higher number of people that typically have rattlesnake bites. Of course, bites. it's a dangerous snake. <laughs> I'm going to catch it. Um, okay, so we get bit. Let's look at it from both sides. It probably won't matter either way. Um, from a layperson or civilian, so to speak, and then a provider. So I personally get bit. Yeah. And your advice, what's the first thing you, you're going to tell me to do? First thing I'm going to tell you to do is, I guess I have more questions, but like, are you breathing okay? Are you having respiratory distress? Well, no, I mean, like, it, let's say you're advising me, like if you're telling me, you know, you get bit, here are three things you need to do first. Okay. So I think first and foremost is look at the area of the bite. So do you have like fang marks? Do you have any like skin findings that show that there was an okay, actual so bite? Two fang marks here. So I've, it's bleeding. Yes. Okay. So then at that point, I'm thinking this bite is real and there's a high potential for venom transmission. Um, would I know that right away when it, when it bites me? Like, no. Does it burn or would I? It hurt. Like it definitely hurts. But mm. part of the problem is that the problem with the rattlesnake bites is that it's progressive over time. So if it happens within a few minutes and you look at it, it may not be that impressive, but it gets worse. And so you look for bruising, you look for blistering, okay. you think about pain, but there's a lot of things that you don't do. So you look at it, you stabilize it. Ideally, there's not good data to show if you stabilize it like above your heart to think about swelling and decreasing swelling. I think that's what we've been, we're, we're teaching, right? At the level or above the heart? They actually recommend that it's below the heart, but there's not good studies to say that that actually works. So that is the recommendation because the idea is that if you have antivenom, Typically, I mean, you hope that it stays localized, but you can't do anything to make that happen. But they are saying that potentially keeping it below the heart will keep it from spreading. So if you keep it below. So. All right. So I get bit. I look at it. Oh, wow. They bit me. Um, to keep it below. Keep it below. I'm hiking. I'm three miles out. Do I conserve my energy and sit and wait and see if my phone works and wait no. for extraction? No. Or do I start walking? Well, it's a good question. So... If you're in a place where extraction, like if you're backpacking in the middle of nowhere, but you happen to have like a cell signal, I think if you're doing okay, it's better to get to a place where maybe you're closer for extraction instead of just sitting and waiting. Because as you sit, like the earlier you start antivenom, the more successful it is for the sequelae of the venom. Um, and so ideally the fastest route for getting treatment is the best idea. So okay. if, if you don't have cell, cell phone access, then you probably want to get to a place that you do. And then if it's a matter of like hiking 10 more miles versus like some helicopter coming to get you, it's probably faster to get the helicopter at that point. Okay. So <clears throat> then should I run to an extraction zone? Because sometimes I think, well, if you increase your heart rate, you increase, you know, blood flow, that's yeah. going to make the poison spread faster. That would be counterproductive. It's a really good question. I don't think there's enough studies to say walking casually and comfortably versus like running is going to make a difference for how how effective the venom is going to be on your body okay all right so so i think you could technically do either you could do either okay yeah. that's good to know yeah um now i'm going to take off my shoelace and i'm going to make a tourniquet no 
You do not no. want to do a tourniquet, which is a really good question because I think that that's like a common misconception. Well, I want to cut it off from spreading, right? Yeah. Let's say it's it's arterial and it gets in my artery. Yes. Wouldn't that prevent it from spreading? No. No. It's a really very common misconception and it yeah. actually makes sense. Like if you cut off that circulation, it's not going to go anywhere else. However, the damage that you cause from doing that is worse than the potential damage of the venom going elsewhere. Really? Yeah, because you at the site have a lot of damage to the capillaries, and that's why you have the inflammation. That's why you have the edema. Um, and if you cut off that area, you're actually cutting off circulation, and you can cause more problems, necrosis, like a huge variety of things to the limb, for example. Okay. Well, on a side note, this is a weird question, though. <clears throat> what if the limb were amputated? Would that prevent spread? Probably. Not that I would recommend it, but I'm just, <laughs> when you said that, I thought, well, what if... What if we don't even have the limb? Yeah, what if you didn't even have the limb? No, not necessarily, because one, it's we can't study how fast the venom actually travels. Gotcha. And two, they actually tried um, to incise the wound for, like, animals. Like, if they got bit by a rattlesnake, instead of, like, giving anti-venom, they've tried to incise that area. And it's not very effective in doesn't animals. Work. Yeah, it doesn't work. Well, in the cowboy movies, you make a cross cut, right? Right at the fangs, and then you... Suck it out? Yeah. Yeah. So, no. no. So... All right. The, it's shown that these, like, mechanisms for sucking it out, like, there's, like, a cup, there's different the things. Sawyer the from Sawyer. The Boy Scouts, right? Doesn't work. The Sawyer doesn't work. Sorry no. to the Sawyer family. We don't mean any offense. Um, no. I mean, maybe it works for, like, bee stings or something. But it does not work for rattlesnake bites. It doesn't work. Okay. And you don't Because that's in the snake bite kit. Yeah. It's in the snake bite kit. And it doesn't... It do, has not shown to prevent anything. Wow. Okay. And on top of it, if you try to suck it out, like, with your own mouth or somebody else tries to do that for you, the venom is more... Like, if you actually get anything out of there, it's more direct to your airway and can cause... There was, like, one case where it caused significant respiratory distress and anaphylaxis. But you actually got some venom out. Yeah, I guess so. But then it also didn't affect the actual patient either. And the one thing, and I, but I want to confirm with you, what I would think is that the mouth carries so much bacteria that it's actually worse putting your mouth yeah. on it because of how dirty. You're introducing to the like the person who has the bite, yes. introducing potential bacterial infection. Okay, so that is a thing. It can be, yeah. So okay. like probably less less likely if you're sucking stuff out as opposed to like a bite, but a, a human bite is like. Nasty bite. Really terrible. So you just don't really want mouth on an open wound. All right. So I'm, keep, I'm keeping a list going here, Doc. So I'm not going to cut it, right? <laughs> don't cut it out. Don't Do cut the arm not off. make a tourniquet. No tourniquet. Don't amputate. Nope. Okay. Um, that's, 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 okay. What about ice? I'm going to get a bucket of ice and I'm going to immerse the limb and try to make it as cold as possible. So... A little bit of ice probably is not a big deal because that actually probably would be comforting to the patient. However, the proteins that the is part of the venom are so strong that like doing super extreme ice or heat doesn't change the venom at all, the venom protein. So it won't slow it down? Because you know we think down. cryotherapy, right? Yeah, versus like extreme heat. It won't do anything as far as like the issue related to venom and patients. Where does all this stuff come from? All of these treatments and wives tales, if you will, and myths, where does that all come from? My guess is that it probably, I mean, I don't know for sure, but it's probably has to do with the fact of like what you do before we even had anti-venom. Okay. So like maybe that stuff was, I mean, I would hate to say cut off a limb, but like maybe that was like a more reasonable option than like 
dying a long, long time ago. Right. Limb versus life. But it does not prove to be effective. And now that we can study things a little bit better, it just doesn't show that it really improves much. So if I'm responding uh, to a snake bite uh, patient or victim uh, as a provider, you know, you, you mentioned ABCs, right? Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, if those things are intact, uh, then I guess rapid transport. I'm rapid, not going to put a tourniquet on them. No. Am I going to dress the wound? You can dress the wound. That's not going to hurt anything. You can splint the arm or the extremity. That sometimes actually helps patients moving less. It just is less painful. Mm -hmm. um, giving pain meds, totally appropriate. I say opiates, Tylenol might be effective if that's all you have. You want to generally stay away from ibuprofen and aspirin because of the potential coagulopathy or clotting problems that you might have, and that increases bleeding. Because aren't there anti-clotting proteins in snake venom? It's kind of, yeah. It basically like affects the way you can clot, essentially. And so if you're concerned about potential bleed, you don't typically want to give ibuprofen or aspirin anyway. And because this can be so painful, I think opiates are probably your best bet. And I wouldn't be afraid of respiratory depression associated with opiate use? You you certainly can be. Like, so for since I'm in the pediatric world, you definitely want to, like, be careful about your dosing. Okay. Um, if you have a patient, let's say, or somebody that you responded to that was, like, intoxicated and then messing with a rattlesnake, which is very probable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You want to be careful about opiate use in those in that population. Um, Would I base it on maybe transport? And I'm just trying to give context. Yeah. People are going to watch this and say, give me some direction. So yeah. would it be based on transport time? You know, if I'm 30 minutes away, maybe if I'm 15. Yeah. I think I think if you're a little while away, appropriate to give, maybe start with Tylenol. And if that's not really like doing anything, then you can like escalate your pain management. That's typically what I'll do a lot of the times. Okay. Unless I feel like the trauma is really bad, then maybe I'll start with something a little bit stronger, like morphine or fentanyl. Fentanyl is really quick on, but quick off. And so that's gotcha. why it's helpful. But of course you want to assess the patient before you give it, be ready in case there's any like side effects. So respiratory standpoint, if they're having distress, knowing that you have oxygen and stuff available or Narcan if they had already taken a bunch of stuff beforehand. Gotcha. So some supplemental supportive O2 and then um, mm -hmm. rapid transport. Rapid right? transport. We're helping them out a lot yeah. to get them to the antivenom. Definitely. And then where where is it stored? What hospitals would have this antivenom? That's a good question, and we it changes all the time because it is based on our toxicology team here about, so like after we found out through our research that Anavip and Crofab are both pretty similar on effectiveness level, um, we said it was appropriate to have both of them at the hospital and eventually maybe one versus the other. For a while, it was just Crofab. Now about 30-some hospitals have both available, which means wow. that there's probably a few more that have just the Crofab still. Um, now, when you say 30-some, you mean locally, statewide. regionally, or statewide? Statewide. So, like, which is really helpful because if you're in a rural community and you're, like, down in Roswell, there's going to be a location close by in Roswell specifically that has the antivenom. That's good to know. So I think, um, of course, stabilizing your patient and then deciding, like, which facilities might have antivenom. Sometimes just a call is helpful because we know if we've given it before. Like, at UNM, like, we've given both multiple times. And so... so call in route. Yeah. Which we would do anyway. Right? Which you normally do. Yeah. Right. So not a big difference. That would make sense. And then um, just a couple more questions here. So the antivenom itself. Now, I know that you will not withhold treatment based on cost. Yeah. But is this a costly procedure? Yes. 
unfortunately for us docs, they don't always go about cost effectiveness or cost. And then when we actually like do something different based on cost, because our job in the ED is to treat anybody who comes in, regardless of cost. However, if you look up the actual cost for giving antivenom, it's thousands of dollars plus your ED stay plus your hospital stay. Like per Um, vial, is it thousands of dollars? So it it is, but like the, for example, like Anavip, the new one, it comes, or, or for Curvab, both of them come in like six to 10 vials that you have to give for one treatment. So you have to say, oh, they need one treatment of Curvab, but then it's 10 vials, let's say. Um, it costs per vial, but the overall amount is pretty significant. I can't say why. I don't know if that has to do with manufacturing. I'm sure it does in some way, but I think overall we would never not treat a patient if they needed antivenom. Gotcha. And I, I do I wouldn't want patients to worry about the cost and not get treated on top of it because I think that there's ways that the hospitals can can take care of that or help take care we of it. We hear that sometimes. Uh, sometimes people can be really sick and not want yeah. to go to the hospital and they say, Well, I can't afford it. Yeah. Um, and they could be, you know, dying. I think I think it's so unfortunate that that's an issue that we have, especially for something that could potentially be life-threatening, like just something simple like a rattlesnake bite. Um, is, it, is it possible that a person could get bit by a rattlesnake, not have it treated, and it kind of just resolves, like your immune system? I think that that probably happens a fair amount because not everyone's reporting things. Like if you think about a rural farmer, it's sure. like, oh, I got bit by a rattlesnake and doesn't actually go anywhere and just takes care of the pain themselves. I think it's totally possible. Um, and I think that that's why our numbers are probably a little bit inaccurate. But what we have seen is that like some rattlesnake bites, let's say the bite itself, localized damage, mm-hmm. gets better, swelling goes away, no blistering, no compartment syndrome. But it's been shown that some of this venom can cause later hematologic effects or coagulopathy. And so that's... Like internally? Mm-hmm. So bleeding organs? So like it decreases your platelets, your fibrinogen levels are off. And so you can have organ dysfunction throughout the body because of a rattlesnake bite. And so I think at a minimum, if there was somebody who was bitten, didn't get seek care right away, they should probably have some sort of follow-up if they can and let them know what happens. And then like just even baseline labs would be useful. Okay. Um, that's great information, Dr. Mascarinas, and we really appreciate it. I want to kind of recap uh, just a few things. Um, so we'll start with some don't, right? Yeah. Um, don't provoke a snake. Do not provoke. Leave snakes alone. Leave them alone. Is that fair to say? Yes. Uh, especially in the wild, right? Yes. Um, don't try to grab them, capture them, whatever. No. Um, oh, I didn't mention, but I think this is really important, mm-hmm. that if you capture a snake or you kill a snake, you see one and you're like, I'm just going to kill it, it can release venom for an hour and a half after it's dead. An hour and a half. Yeah. So if somebody felt the need to kill a snake because it was a threat to them, don't mess with it for a while because it could still release all of it. Even if you toxins. remove the head? Even if you decapitate it, yeah. Okay, so <laughs> said that to the list, ladies I and just, gentlemen. I just wanted to throw um, that out there. Don't appreciate that. Um, we are not going to use a tourniquet. Do not use a tourniquet. Okay. Nope. We're not going to suck the poison out. Do not suck the poison. We're not going to use a little suction cup, a little no. extractor, whatever. We're not doing nope. that either. Um, we are not going to use cryotherapy or extreme heat. Nope. You're dispelling rumors today. Um, <laughs> and... Um, for a provider, ABCs um, are always important, yeah. as with everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, rapid transport, mm-hmm. call ahead to make sure they have the antivenom, right? Yeah. Um, 
I will say if they are sick and you need help before even antivenom, then it's fine to go to the nearest emergency department. Or that makes sense. Yeah. Don't pass help. Yeah, so, yeah, for the antivenom if the patient looks really ill or has some sort of airway compromise or something. Because that could be brought to that facility, right? Exactly. Um, and then, oh, we, one thing we didn't mention, things like you want to remove restrictive clothing or jewelry. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Right, stuff like that. So you're expecting the wound itself to get more swollen or to get worse over time. And so if you have, yeah, rings, jewelry, any sort of constructive clothing, bracelets, things like that, take them off right away. Okay. Especially if it's valuable, obviously. Okay. Take those things off. Um, all right. Well, that's about all the time we have. I did want to get a little bit into other creatures, scorpions, wasps, things like that. But I, it's good we stayed focused on this one. Sometimes you guys know I'll go on a tangent and deviate. Um, <laughs> Dr. Mascarenas, Dr. Danny. Yes. Um, we really appreciate your time. Hopefully we'll get you back. Um, and to uh, all of our viewers there, please uh, subscribe to the channel hit the notification bell. Please like the video. It really helps us out uh, to spread the information. And as always, thank you and be safe.